I don't want some party girl. I want an oyster's pearl. Partying is such sweet sorrow. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself. Melvin Do? <laughs> it's William Shakespeare, but God, let's put more emphasis on you saying lowest lows. Lowest lows. My name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Megan Charlo, and I use she, her pronouns. And today, we are talking about the 2006 animated film, Romeo and Juliet, sealed with a kiss. Mwah. Written, animated, and directed all by Phil Nibbling. He did it all. If it was a team, I'd be more disappointed. So... The animation for this film took four and a half years because he was doing it all by himself. When you tell me this was just one man, I am more impressed by it. Correct. This is a film that is a loose retelling of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. You might have guessed by the title. Here's the thing, though. Compared to most loose retellings we cover, this tries hard to be close. Yeah. But it's just so wrong. Uh, you interrupted me. It's with cartoon seals. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. It's with cartoon seals. I have an interview that was made in 2007. I actually found information about this film from the words of the artiste, the auteur himself, Phil Nibbling. Do you know who Phil Nibbling is, Megan? No. He is a Disney animator who worked on The Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective. He also worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He was the director for American Tale, Fightful Goes West, and We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. Do you know any of those films, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. So he did all of that work. And then for the same company that did American Tale and We're Back, he worked for six years putting together an animated version of the musical Cats. For six years that never came out? It never came out. And that, Megan, is what we have to blame. Like, all of the bad things in the world, it can all be traced back to Cats. Because it was that six years working on Cats that turned Phil Nibbling off studio animation forever. That's fair. And he decided that he was going to make his own animated films by himself. And he made a couple. He made Puss in Boots in 1999. Not the Shrek guy. Not the Shrek a one. A different one. And Leif Erikson, discoverer of North America in 2000. And then he decided to do Romeo and Juliet with Seals. Now, why, man? Why would you think that a man would do this? Are Seals his daughter's favorite animal? No, Megan. Okay. It is because sea animals have curved designs, which means that they are easier to animate. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he always has liked Seals. Yeah. And he's always loved Shakespeare. 
So he thought, why not combine these two loves I had together? It's funny because you say he loves Shakespeare. Throughout this episode, I, I might find reason to disagree with you. I don't know what you're talking about, Megan. He clearly loves Shakespeare. Otherwise, why why do it with seals? I need to quote him here, Megan. Yeah. I figured if Bugs Bunny could do opera, seals could do Shakespeare. Bugs Bunny is an icon. You can't just get some no-name seals off of the animation storyboards and expect them to draw a crowd. We'll move on to Marquez's acting corner. How? Most of the actors in this film were just Phil Nibbling, his family, and his friends. I need to say something, Megan. Yep. There is a character in this film called Kissy the Kissing Fish. Yeah. He's a little goldfish. Yeah. It was voiced by his young daughter. Not only was it voiced by his young daughter, a lot of lines of Kissy the Kissing Fish were ad-libbed by his daughter. And Phil Nibblink went, that was really funny. That's staying in the film. Kill your darlings. Kill your child. <laughs> Not really. Cut out her bad yeah. improv. She won't remember it. She wasn't making a good film anyway, though, so why bother? Romeo and Juliet is about two households who are fighting, and young members of each household fall in love with each other despite the feud. They get married, and then people die. But let's see what this film is. Megan, come on, buck up, buttercup. I'm sorry, I was so ready to come in here and be like, haha, it's bad, but... It's bad. It's so bad, and the more I think about it, the more it just kills me. Megan, at least you've only had to watch it once. You chose to watch it twice. Well, Megan, one of the times was a duty to our podcast... And, and the, the first time was morbid curiosity, emphasis on morbid. Also, it was you're the one who was like, I really want. You said one of my goals for this next year of Avant Bard <laughs> is to cover Sealed with a Kiss. Yeah, it's my civic duty to tell people about this film and caution them never to. Okay, a little bit of backstory. We were in a class together in college called Shakespeare and Film. What? We were? Yes. This has never come up on this podcast, despite that being what this podcast is about. Huh. Anyway, we were in this class together, and I was trying to find an adaptation to write a paper about. And so I just looked up a bunch of adaptations. And this is one of the ones that I came across. But I knew, looking it up, that there's nothing to write a paper about in this film. There just couldn't be. But I still watched it because it was an hour and a half long and I was a college kid. And you have like a lot of time as a college kid that you apparently don't have as an adult, even though, you know, the day's just as long. I regretted every second of watching it. It felt like I was watching it for four hours. And then when we started to do this podcast, I had to do it. And we did it. So here we are. I mean, we haven't done it yet. We are just about to start the film. Okay, let's go. All right, first off, we start the film. The first things we see are a misty, 
craggly, scary-looking cliffside. Let me remind you of one of the first descriptions we were given in Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Fair, Verona. Verona's fair, as in nice. I would not describe this landscape as fair. There are two families, Megan. One of them. Hold on. Hold on. The opening words are, Once upon a time in a world not very different from our own, there lived two families alike in dignity, differing only in color. Okay, we need to hold up. We need to dissect this for one second. One. Why did they mix Star Wars in? I don't know. Because that's definitely referencing Star Wars, but being like, but not. What? Right? The crawl. Yeah. There's no once upon a time uh, so far ago, but like, uh, like, that's not Shakespeare. Anyway, let's talk about the race thing. The Capulets are white and the Montagues are brown. And I get that seals come in different colors. I get that. And that those colors are kind of white spotted and more tan brown. But also, this is a cartoon. Why'd you make it white and brown? Listen, nothing really comes of this. It's not intentional, but you can't not think it. You can't not think that there's a racial element here because we're humans. And when you say that things are divided by skin color, that's it's racial. It continues that from ancient grudge, these two families fought sand and sea, a fight so old all had forgotten how or why or when it started. Accurate. Pretty accurate. Fair. From these two foes came two star-crossed lovers. What bothers me is this is also still kind of said in the cadence of a poem and nothing rhymes. Also, you'll notice they cut any words that imply violence. Oh, yeah, Megan. No blood, no mutiny. It's a rated G no film. No unclean hands. Everyone washes their hands in this ocean. Yeah. Well, they also poop and pee in it because they're seals. Right, let's move on. We yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You're we spending see... too much time on this opening. Right. You're, I'm sorry. We see a little brown boy singing. Yes. The white seals hate him. Yeah. Well... And they start, they start shit, which I will say in Romeo and Juliet, in that first scene with the fight, it is two Capulets who start it. So fair. Unfair? That singing boy is Benvolio, and he is not part of that. Benvolio, in fact, comes in and is like, stop, stop, what are you doing? And everyone ignores him. But instead, Benvolio's like, whoa, Mercutio, back me up here. Those two are not in this. Mercutio isn't in this first scene. I forgive an adaptation for carrying down characters who's involved in what except for the fact that we don't know who any of these capulets are and except for the fact that mercutio in general is not part of either family in and the yet play. he is in this yeah because he is a brown seal denoting him as a montague which he's not are they types of seals or are they related they're related that makes no sense. Every seal that's the same color is related. Then that means that there's incest. Yeah. How oh. else do you keep your pristine color? Anyway, the first line we get out of Mercutio is, Oh, Benvolio, I knew him well. Okay, Megan, I need to set a precedence. Yeah. We cannot dissect every line 
that Mercutio says, because then we will be here. No, it won't be every line. I won't say all like 12 terrible jokes he tells. Yes, correct. I'll say like three of them. Say the worst ones. Say the ones that actively offend you. But yeah, so he does an I knew him Horatio. By doing the misquote, this is where... (laughs) Where are you starting off with one that Megan despises? I get this is I, where I, I set I, a rule. You said <laughs> I set a rule, and now you're following the yeah. rule because you are visibly upset. You said Mr. Nibblelink loves Shakespeare, and yet he didn't even quote Shakespeare in the Shakespeare reference. He quoted a misquote of Shakespeare. Yeah, Megan, I'd say that that was an interview he gave to a guy. I hate it. Anyway, they also then say to be or not to be, that is the question. Capiche? Capiche? No, he's definitely not to be. Get it? Because we're fighting. But they're referencing killing each other, which no one dies in this. Megan? Spoilers. In the interview, they asked Phil Nibbling, why did you have it so the (laughs) ending is different and nobody dies? And he said, well... There are not a lot of G-rated movies out there, so I decided to make it G. So he just arbitrarily makes these decisions of like, well, I can animate seals pretty well. I kind of like Shakespeare. It needs to be a G-rated movie. So he just makes these decisions. And since there's no one there to like tell him not to do them. You know what they should have told him not to do? The whole film? Have... Benvolio say all the world's a stage and Mercutio say then what are we waiting for let's act before joining the fray okay Mike, you skipped a couple beats here so you mean the fact that they just chase each other back and forth to each other's situation and then more and more people are added on like nothing that happens in Romeo and Juliet you also see Juliet looking at this fight you could tell it's Juliet because she looks like a baby well because she's a smaller seal that has eyelashes and as we all know megan you gotta wear eyelashes or a bow to be a girl yes (sighs) anyway so since they're fighting a bunch and someone says bubble bubble toil and trouble as they look at the water as a big monster thing comes out the prince is a cthulhu-esque elephant seal voiced by phil nibbling himself How come he gets to not be the same as them and Mercutio is instead a Montague? That's actually important to the story of Romeo and Juliet. Is this something, Megan? Aeschylus. Elephant. I don't know. But the prince is terrible, which is not accurate to Romeo and Juliet. And he's like, I said don't fight. If anyone fights, they'll be banished to Shark Island. That sounds scary. And everyone was like, oh, God, sharks eat seals. Here's the thing, Megan. He makes this proclamation, but most of the conflict in this film involves him. Yeah. (laughs) So this makes no sense. He makes no sense as a figure of authority because he's also the antagonist. What I'm wondering is if between this and the next time we see the prince, three years had passed in the animation process, and and Mr. Nibblink went, who is this guy again? Oh, he was mean, right? He's the bad guy. <laughs> anyway, so the fight's over, and Benvolio's like, oh, man, I'm going to be so good at fighting. Did you see me back there? I'm going to be even better, which is not a very Benvolio thing to say. 
And Volio doesn't like conflict. And Mercutio's like, well, the Capulets are having a party. Let's go find Romeo. Bullshit. Mercutio's not the one who finds out about the party. It's Romeo who's reading invitations from a servant who's like, yo, I can't read. How am I supposed to deliver these? Can you help me, man? I don't think they... Well, actually, they could have put some guy who doesn't read because it's a kid's movie. It's a kid's movie and they're seals. I'd assume most seals can't read. So yeah, I'm angry. They gave Mercutio more to do. So they find Romeo. On Sadness Rock. And what does Romeo look like? Exactly like Juliet, but a different color. And no eyelashes. They're babies. They look like tiny babies compared to everyone else. They look like they're 700 years younger. His friends try to cheer him up, and Romeo instead does not sing, but sings a song. What I mean by that is... He kind of talks to his music. Almost on a key. There is royalty-free music playing in the background, and he kind of says a poem to it. You want to know what else they did as this is happening? They have Mercutio be the person who's there to cheer him up and find out what's wrong. And in the play, Mercutio's not even in the damn scene. It's Benvolio. Benvolio's the one who's like, hey, Mr. Montague, have you seen your son? He's like, no, I haven't seen my son. He seems upset. Yeah, I was going to tell you he seems upset. Do you know what's up? And Montague's like, no, I don't know. Could you find out, please? You're his best friend. And Benvolio's like, yeah, of course, because I'm Benvolio. And who knows where Mercutio is this time of day? We also get our first appearance of Kissy, the kissing fish, a goldfish that comes up to Romeo and gives him a big old smack around the cheek. And then Romeo kisses her. Yeah, that's weird. He's singing a song about how he doesn't want a party girl. He wants an oyster's pearl, and he wants someone who's right for him, and he's just so ready for the right seal. And then he kisses this fish, who, I'm going to give you a spoiler, is voiced by a child, as you know, so is a baby, canonically. Like a baby fish. That is a a baby. baby. They talk with a speech impediment of a baby. A bad man. He makes me wee-wee quanky. That's a baby. So the Capulets are having their party. Oh, yeah. Also, there is no transition in between Romeo being sad and then saying, sure, I'll go to the party. Yeah. He just says it after he's done with his song. So they're having, they're like, how do we go to the party? We're not white. Wait, hold up. And they roll in sand, question mark? Snow, question mark? You gotta make sure you get that sand right on your eyelids. So now they're white. And oh, no, the prince is there. I don't know why that's bad. Well, here's why it's bad, Maggie. Because Prince sees Juliet and goes, I love that baby-looking seal. You know what? I don't think she has any good choices because the only other choice is Romeo. Who looks exactly like her? No, who is like, oh, I hate the prince. He has a huge nose and is fat. Get your fat flippers off of her. And I'm like... That's not okay, dude. And then Mr. Nibblelink is like, no, it's fine, because fat people are funny. Get it? Benvolio's fat, and he's excited for the food because he's fat. There's a lot of fat phobia in this movie, man. And then the prince is like, I'm going to marry you. This is a nice G-rated film. We can't have people die, but we can teach kids that people who are fat are are bad or just funny are just funny. So here's where the issue's starting. So the prince is also Paris? Yes. But also Paris doesn't ask to marry Juliet, really. Like, it's kind of like the families have it set. Megan, the prince is also Tybalt. That hasn't happened yet, though. 
But I'm just saying. But it's a uh, bullshit, and I think Mr. Nibblelinks never read Romeo and Juliet, the most commonly read Shakespeare play. He knows the basic beats. Yeah, most people could guess them. So the prince goes to ask Mr. Juliet's dad, Capulet, Dadulet, to marry her. And that gives Romeo a chance to go up to Juliet. They obviously immediately fall in love and like... Hey, no, you want to know what's wrong with this? What? They don't talk to each other. No, they They have no words. They start to almost kiss. Mercutio gets to do some talking. He gets to sing a little song. You know the party scene where Mercutio talks and Romeo and Juliet are silent? Man, you know what I'm missing? Anything good? I'm missing Magical Legend of the Leprechauns when there's that game moment. Anyway, so they don't talk. Then they kiss because the prince is coming back. And then they make a couple jokes because he's like, bye, gotta go. Prince is coming back. Don't want to get caught. And then she's like, bye. And then as he's running from the prince, he like sees her a couple more times and they kiss a bunch more. And then he'll be like, oh, hi. And she goes back so soon. And he's like, bye. That's still not talking. You don't know a thing about each other. And this wasn't even witty or good. They don't complete anything together. There's not make your move did this better where they dance together and make their own dance. It has the feeling of a Looney Tunes action scene where it's like madcap and there are jokes being made and physical comedy bits, but it lacks the quality and timing to make any of the jokes land. Yeah. And it's also G-rated, which I'm sure you can't do like Looney Tunes jokes in a G rating. It's just all feels off and it feels like it lasts like 10 minutes when it lasts like two i have seen so much g-rated media that has strong fat phobia in it this is a side tangent that i just have to mention that's such bullshit oh it is you shouldn't be teaching people fat phobia yeah man i mean if it's g-rated especially like you shouldn't do it anywhere but like especially on things that everyone's like oh yeah this is safe i'm like no it teaches bullying yeah. What the hell are you talking about? Because the bullying is applauded with laughter. Screw you. Okay. Anyway, so the prince is mad. He bites Romeo, no harm done to him, and throws him in the water. And oh, look, all the sand, snow, whatever came off, and they're brown people. <gasps> Sorry, I mean seals. They gotta run, though, because otherwise they will get... The prince is like, and it's a Montague. And I'm like, why does the prince care? Shouldn't he be like, wait a second. No, come back. Let's have some kindness here. Instead, he hates Montagues. He's the one that tells him to stop fighting. Anyway, he's going to marry Juliet tomorrow, apparently. <gasps> so Mercutio and Benvolio try to find Romeo. Romeo has run off. And of course, so what they say to try to find him, because they can't figure out where he is, they say, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Because that's what that means. It, it totally means, where are you? Not why. And then we cut to Juliet, who's standing on top of that cliff with the tree, which I'm assuming just is supposed to stand in for a balcony. And then she says, Romeo, Romeo, where are you, my Romeo? He literally changed the line to be the wrong meeting. She also says, what's in a color? A fish of any color would smell as sweet. If only you could change your color, then you could take me. 
are Montagues and Capulets just supposed to be names for the colors that they are? She also says she has not heard him bark a hundred words, yet she recognizes the sound of his sweet voice. Bark, bark, bark. And then two stars cross behind them in the background. Get it? Because they're star-crossed. And then Juliet gets a song in which he sings the same words. I love you for who you are, you who are my lucky star. And she says that like five times, just the same over and over. And then I swear they start singing in slow-mo. And then Romeo's like, wow, I'm so high off that awesome slow-mo song. Will you marry me? And she says, yes, yes, a thousand times yes from Pride and Prejudice. We can't. We can't. So they go to Seal Land Church because Ma- apparently no, that's Megan, a- <laughs> Megan, Megan, Megan. You are. Well, they say, let's go to the church. This is the wildest statement ever made in this film. We'll go to church. Romeo what? says, meet me at Friar Lawrence's church. Hey. Friar. Friar. The church. Church. Seal church. Seal friar. Anyway, she says parting is such sweet sorrow, which annoys me because earlier they said partying is such sweet sorrow. And why would Mercutio say that earlier? Anyway, she blows him a kiss. It's a star. It knocks him off the cliff. He's fine, though. But oh, look, it's Kissy the Fish, who he kisses again. I thought you loved this Juliet girl. Why are you kissing this fish, you hussy? So the next scene, uh, Mercutio just tells jokes for like three minutes straight. They're bad. One from this scene is, what did the clam say when he got caught in the seaweed? What? Kelp! Kelp! Like, help. Megan, you know me. You know where my political land deeds are, right? You know, like, where I stand on the political spectrum? Yeah. I don't believe in gun ownership. Yeah. I want to shoot Mercutio in the head with a gun. (laughs) I want to see this man die. He has no net worth to this story at all. And so I'm like, you are actively draining plot away. Do you want to hear what I think is fucking weird? Yeah. So the prince has been made the villain. Yes. You know who's the scariest person? Friar Lawrence. First off, this is not a church. It, it it's no, a cave. <laughs> it's a, it no way resembles a church. No, there's no iconography of churches. He has a cauldron that he makes sandwiches in, I guess, somehow. So is Friar Lawrence magic is my question when I see this scene. I is, think you're, you're supposed to see him as a like a prophet, like a soothsayer. Is he talking to God? Is he talking to the sea god? Well, I, I don't know. The clam is his answer. Anyway, he's an otter. What happens in this scene actually Hold up. He says, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Sure. Moving on. That reference was already made. It it was. Phil Nibelink just finished a scene and then moved on and never looked at it again. So Romeo goes, hey, Friar Lawrence, will you marry me and this girl? And Friar Lawrence is like, great, you found love. Who is she? Oh, she's a Capulet. A Capulet? No way. Gets a vision from God. Hold up. This is another thing where I don't think Mr. Nibblelink has ever read Romeo and Juliet. Friar Lawrence is chill with this. Well, the from only, the start. Yeah. The only issue he has is he's like, well, Romeo, do you think you might be going too fast? Because you just loved Rosalind yesterday. He's opposite in this. He's in just this, so- he's like, what is your problem? You're mad. She's white. And then he has like a vision because he, he takes out a clam. And in that clam, there are two pearls. And the soup says, do it. It'll end the feud. And he's like, oh, okay, never mind. I'll do it. 
Is this so that Friar Lawrence has no agency so that we can't blame him if anything bad were to happen? Which, spoiler alert, nothing bad happens, so why would we blame him? Anyway, they get married, and they kiss like, wah, 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 wah. And Friar Lawrence is like, jeez, I'm sick of this. And I'm like, yeah, me too, can we end it? And then we cut back to Mercutio making more jokes. Megan? Yeah. I kind of like some of these ones. Well, because these ones have to do with Capulets. The yeah. first scene of jo- why did we have two scenes of jokes? We could have just had one. Anyway, let me find one. Yeah, that's good. The one I remember is that there are a couple of classic ones, which is what do you call a hundred dead Capulets? A good start. Marquez. Yeah. I'll ask you this one. Yeah. Do you know how to save a drowning Capulet? No. Good. <laughs> Let him drown. See, it's funny because all these jokes are pretty dark. They're and- all about death. Every single, oh, okay, not every single one. Basically, every single one except for one which says that a Capulet with one brain cell is gifted. That's the only one that's not about killing Capulets in this G-rated film. Mercutio also just goes, I'm killing myself. I'm killing myself. Get it? Get it? Because this is supposed to be the part where he starts a fight with Tybalt and all these Capulets are listening in. They're going to beat him up. But you know what's more important? Seeing Romeo and Juliet. Oh, they go on a honeymoon? Question mark? Basically. Where's this honeymoon located, Megan? Megan, it's the Titanic. It's the Titanic. One, they do the Titanic bit where Romeo is holding up Juliet. I'm flying, Romeo. You're underwater. You can't do that bit underwater. You know what pisses me off, but it really shouldn't, considering I'm trying to bring logic into this? What? The Titanic is 13,000 feet underwater. Yeah. Seals can only dive depths of 1,500 feet when they are adults. And that's only 1,500 instead of 13,000. Yeah, they're dead. Well, They Megan, can't do it. Megan, it's okay because this isn't the Titanic. It's the Neptune as we see on the ship. Like they write, the writing on the ship calls you know it what the else? Neptune. I'm going to jump ahead to something that we find out later. Yeah. This ship is directly under Shark Island. Oh, so why the hell do they care about Shark Island if they're dilly-dallying under it? Why does it matter? Why is Shark Island so scary? Sure, being banished there, sure. But no one goes to Shark Island, apparently. But yeah, you just did. You went underneath it. You might as well have been there. The in- waters would be shark-infested if that's truly a Shark Island. So in the Titanic... Okay, imagine this, Megan. Yeah. In the Titanic. Yeah. There is a fish nightclub. Why wouldn't there be? And Romeo and Juliet just go, ah... Finally, a place we can go in which we will not be judged for who we are. And someone turns a spotlight and goes, he's black and she's white. It is so wild that these fish care about this. That's the thing is in Romeo and Juliet, it's literally like a point of this is that only the families care about this feud. And it affects other people, but they don't care. They don't know why they started it. Why would anyone else care? What makes it worse, Megan, is they don't say, this is dangerous. They go, ew, Ew. gross. It is wild. So, yeah, okay, so then they leave because they're being harassed. harassed, And then they go up and they do the thing where they kiss under a waterfall, except Kissy the Kissing Fish interrupts And it's like, hi, are you in love? Are you going to have babies? And they're like, whoa, bitch, we just met. And I'm like, yeah, you just got married. And then she's like, wait, you're a Capulet and a Montague? 
burn in hell. She doesn't say that, but she's like, that's gross. They didn't say burn in hell, but as the child. Burn in hell. <laughs> anyway, they're like, no, but we're married. And she's like, oh, okay. So have babies. Oh, wait, I'm going to kiss you guys. It's weird. It's so weird. And then they're like, oh, no, what if the prince finds out? And I'm like, again, this is Prince Slander. Romeo and Juliet, Prince Aeschylus would be like, awesome. Let's keep you safe. So they're like, "Uh uh-oh, we gotta hide because the prince is probably swimming all the way out here because he'd know. I don't know. Anyway, he goes past. Romeo again references the ugly nose of the prince. Yeah, and then Kissing the Kissing Fish asks, what will the prince do if they can't find you guys? And Romeo's like, he's gonna murder Mercutio, which makes no sense. Well, that is what happens, so I guess he does make sense, Megan. That makes no sense. Why would that be the next logical conclusion? What's supposed to happen is that Romeo gets a letter in the mail from Tybalt that says, I want to fight, and you know Romeo's not going to turn down a duel. But then Mercutio comes that day, too, and then he starts shit. The prince doesn't seek out... Whatever. Also, the prince isn't part of it. The important thing is that Kissy the Kissing Fish says, this is all gonna end in tears. Which is true, because I will cry from watching this movie. As the prince approaches Mercutio, Mercutio's like, I care not for Capulets, which makes the prince scream, because obviously he loves the Capulets. And then they make another fat joke. They say, I wonder how deep the ocean is when you're not in it. God, don't we love fat folk? It's like the only problem with this guy is he's fat and his breath stinks. So he should die unhappy. Benvolio's like, oh, wherefore art thou, Romeo? No! Once again, Mr. Nibbling, this is now like the fourth or fifth time that you've messed up this specific famous quote. Romeo gets there. He's like, Juliet loves me. And then Capulet hears that and faints. And then the prince is like, I'm going to kill you. But Mercutio's like, blah, blah. I hate the prince. He's fat. I'm funny. Ha, 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 ha. Your nose is so big. And Romeo's like, stop, Mercutio. And then the smelly prince grabs Mercutio and throws him off the cliff. And he dies. (laughs) He says the whole, look for me tomorrow and you will find me a grave seal. And he falls off the cliff, and we have to assume he's dead. And Romeo is so upset, he throws himself at the prince, and then the cliff breaks, and they both fall. And they both survive that fall. Also, Juliet's watching this entire scene, as is Mr. Montague, who just keeps going, My son! Romeo, my My son! son. I think they only got him to do that one line, and so they just, like, that's all he needs to say. That's it. Juliet's like, no, Romeo, and runs up to him. And then the prince is like, why are you kissing? You are banished to Shark Island. Megan, after Romeo is banished to Shark Island, we get a montage of moments that have happened in this hour and a half film. I said, Juliet runs off remembering every single, what, six scenes they've had together? Yeah. Also, the prince is like, no, Juliet, you don't love him. You love me. We marry tonight. Even Paris wouldn't do that. Yeah. What the heck? So yeah, the prince has a villain song about how he's getting married, and he puts on clothes, which now makes me think that everyone was naked this whole film, and it's not G-rated. Megan? Yeah. If he gets to put on a tux, why can't they have it so that they are wearing red and blue as Montagues and Capulets? And why did they have to do the skin color thing? 
You make these rules up, Nibblink. I'm really mad. A thing that we get to see, which we don't get to in Romeo and Juliet, is we get to really see Banished Romeo. Yeah. And we see him on Shark Island, where he has interacted with zero sharks, and he's totally fine at this point so far. And Babyfish has come, too, because Kissy can just be everywhere, and apparently Kissy doesn't like the ocean because it's wet. I'm certain that line was improv. Oh, a thousand percent. And also, she just goes, that prince needs a time out. And then she goes, can I sing you this song I have? And I go, no, girl, no. Don't sing. I don't want this. And what does she sing, Ryan? She sings Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And this somehow cheers Romeo up. He's like, thanks. You saved my life. Goodbye. And I keyboard smashed in anger. Juliet, of course, goes to Friar Lawrence and is like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have a nurse in this. You're the only person I can talk to. (laughs) Yes, correct. (laughs) And he's like, I don't know. I guess you got to get married. Unless. <laughs> God decides. To... And then he has a creepy song. And it's the only decent song in this whole film. I wrote no words about it because I was astonished that I somewhat slightly enjoyed it. Megan? Yeah. You've played Juliet before. Oh, I would not take the drop that this creepy man gave me. And I played Friar Lawrence before. Now, when we played this scene together, it was more of a a calm... I have a plan. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to reassure you that you're going to be okay. Because this plan might sound really scary, but it's all going to work out. And instead, this Friar Lawrence acts like he's the Joker. He's just like, take... Thou this vial and drink it and you'll appear dead. <laughs> it's like, what? He he does tell her to drink now or forever hold your peace, which I can't decide if I absolutely hate it or find it slightly funny. So then we uh, pull out and then we see that uh, there's Mercutio. He's sitting there. He's going, oh, what a tangled web we weave. I'm alive. I'm just gonna not take part. I could, you know, go to Shark Island and just tell Romeo what's happening. But he doesn't. The phrase, what a tangled web we weave, is from a poem by Walter Scott. Sir Walter Scott. Nothing to do with Shakespeare. No. He could have said, like, ill met by moonlight or something. Just anything. Or just something wicked this way comes. Here's my confusion. He used Toil and Trouble. Yes. Twice. twice. He could have said something wicked this way comes. Yeah, he's never used that yet. But then people would be like, what, the prince is wicked? I'm like, yeah, that's what he is, this whole film. Yeah, yeah. So why bother? Okay, we're at the last scene, Mike. We're at the last scene. Okay, it's time for the wedding. Juliet's late. Her dad's going to ground her. And then Friar Lawrence comes in carrying her body saying, I have sad tidings. Juliet is dead. And everyone goes, oh. And then the prince says... (laughs) Oh, women, it's always something. I don't think I could imagine a single character from Romeo and Juliet saying that. And then Benvolio comes around because he's just like, well, it's sad. I might as well see this wedding I'm not invited to. And then he sees that Juliet's dead and he goes, I'm going to have to tell Romeo. And Friar Lawrence is like, this plan has immediately fallen apart. And he's like, wait, Benvolio. But everyone's like, ah, the body of our dead girl. And he's like, no, Benvolio, no, no. 
And he goes to go after Benvolio, but Benvolio's already up ahead. And then a shark is like, you know what I don't want? A seal with a lot of fat and meat and good things. I'd rather have an otter with mostly fur who's really scraggly. And it bites on his tail and they just kind of play for a while. And so Romeo now knows that Juliet is dead and he's sad. It turns black and white for a second. And for a brief second, I was like, oh, it's like he's white. And then uh, it goes back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, my hope for this is gone. And up to this point, Megan, in this film, I was like, is Friar Lawrence our MVP? Because I was like, he's probably the only one that is delivering a vocal performance that is somewhat good. And then, in order to get the shark off of his tail, he does a rap about his tail. And I've lost all faith in this. And then he sees Benvolio and Romeo swimming back to the mainland already, and he's like, oh, dang it, I was rapping too long. They still don't know. I gotta also say, that rap interrupts Romeo seeing Juliet's dead body. He sees it, goes, oh, and then we cut to Friar Lawrence rapping about his butt. Sorry, Hussy Fish helps get them back and makes a bunch of Terminator 2 references. Two Terminator 2 references. That kid just saw Terminator 2, which is a horrible film for a child to see. So Phil Nibbling. I think he wrote those lines. I think he wanted to make those references. I don't think those were improv. I agree with you because they're too well placed. Yes. I think that's worse, Megan. You know what I think is even worse? What? That I think the line, I think he's suffering from attention deficit disorder, was in the script. Oh, a thousand percent. That's wild. They say that about the shark, by the way. Why would you say that? And then, yeah, so Kissy gets all their fish friends to spank the shark, which also sounds inappropriate when I say it. Spanking is definitely a kid line. That was yes. ad-libbed by the Spank kid. him! Spank, spank, spank. It's kind of funny. Yeah. But... I'm also very tired of everything. <laughs> everything. Nothing gives me joy. Romeo kisses Juliet, and the potion affects him, too. And the Capulets are like, what? What? They're, they're both dead. And the Montagues show up, and Romeo's dad says, Romeo, Romeo my, my son. son. And then they play a sad version of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And Friar Lawrence is like, why are you enemies? Where are they, Capulet Montague? See, your hate has killed your children. We're punished. And And then then everyone cries as Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is playing. And then Mercutio is surfing. And he's like, (laughs) tis I to surfer the slings and arrows of this party looks dead. And I will borrow your gun to shoot him in the head. I wrote here, Mercutio rides in on a wave. I look over at Megan and I think she's going to kill him. So Juliet wakes up and then she boops Romeo's nose and he wakes up and they kiss a bunch of times. And someone's like, well, you used to get a cave. I guess it's Mercutio because there was an accent and he's the only one who is that wild. And everyone's like, yeah, dancing time. And the prince is like, I'm angry. Women, right? And then he sees another elephant seal. But a woman in a dress? With a wig? Yes. And she's also fat. And her breath stinks. And they just breathe stinky colored breath back and forth. Back and forth. Forever. 
And then Romeo and Juliet swim off into the sunset. And you know what the last line of this is? What, Megan? Wherefore art thou, Romeo? Because the party people are like, where'd they go? That's it, Megan. We did it, though. We did it really fast, but we did it. We're done. Yeah. All right, Megan. How's this stand up as an adaptation? Bad. Does not cover the themes. It mentions some of the themes. Some of them aren't quite correct. The whole family thing is superseded by a prince who is also a suitor who is also a cousin. Yeah. I think, honestly, I could probably look past most of it, but the plot was so destroyed. By the prince being... By the prince being who he was in this film. Yeah. It becomes unfathomable. Like, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. He ruined it. Nibble Link ruined it. And he voices the prince. I can't give more parts to other people. Make it all me. Did Roger Ebert watch this? No, he didn't. Good. He never has to. MVP. Friar Lawrence still, even with that damn rap. We're just disqualifying Friar oh, we... Lawrence. Fr- like, he, I choose him, but he's not going to be in the runnings for MMVP. Oh, no, he's disqualified. He's disqualified. I am declaring it now. Bottom of the list for year in review this film. If it's not, I'm scared for the future. Yes, but I'm saying it now. I don't even want to, like, talk about this film ever again. Like, here's the problem. This film hurt me. More than any other More film. than Anonymous, because at least yes. Anonymous got some things right. They were just very wrong about their main point. Yeah. Do you know, what did Shakespeare have to say about this film, Megan? Yeah, Shakespeare told me, will you speak well of him that killed your Shakespeare play? And I said, no, no, because you know what I'm rating this? I'm rating this the zero licks of sense this film made out of the 1700 times Phil Nippolink didn't know what wherefore means. What about you, Marquez? I'm going to rate this film one shark out of however many freaking fish spanked him. (laughs) Because I will give it a tiny percent. Because he did it, it's a one-man production? It's bad art. It's bad art. But it is still art made by a man who wanted to... A man with a mission. Yes. He was driven. And listen, it's bad. It's corrosive, but he did it himself. Here's the thing. That's not what I'm rating Phil Nibblink as a person. No, that's I will give him respect points. This film he made is hot trash garbage. Sorry, baby. That's why it gets like 1% from me. Yeah, no, I'll give him percentages, but then I'll erase quite a few of those for him saying he loves Shakespeare and being so wrong about meanings in Romeo and Juliet and the basic plot of Romeo and Juliet. Anyway, audience, never watch this film. Please. For me. For me. Never. Please. Yeah, never seek it out. Never watch it. Just take it from us that it is not worth your time. So I think that's just about going to do it for us here on Avant Bard. If you liked what you heard, and I don't know how. Maybe they also just seethingly hate it. Maybe. If you seethingly hate this film like we do, 
follow us on all social media at AvantGardePod. And if you really dislike this film and like us, you can support us financially at patreon.com slash AvantGardePod. We also have a website at bit.ly slash AvantGard. Bloopers for this episode will be posted next week. But until then, I'm free. And we'll see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod. Romeo, my son.